Welcome to the Talent Cast. Today's episode, it's a new year, but what happens if you had to start at zero? What if you had to start from scratch? What if you had to launch or kick off or relaunch a, a recruiting brand from pretty much zero? Well, let's find out. Howdy! Welcome to The Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I, am always, am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus, we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We've instituted a 100% no-pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, you can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, as always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at thetalentcast.com, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. Hey, I'm James Ellis. Thanks for joining me. I'm recording here uh, early morning here at The Lair, uh, high above Chicago's downtown area. Uh, so I wanted to talk today, given that it's the new year, I, I had a lot of, I, I, I have a, a little notebook of, of topics and ideas I want to talk about. And, you know, it was a lot of, hey, let's do book lists. And I did resolutions last week and blah, blah, blah. I, I It took me a while to figure out what the topic or what I want to talk about today was. And then I kind of went back to a conversation I had probably two years ago. And the way I work and the way my team works and the way I work here, we generally work with very, 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 very big brands, right? These are the biggest of the big. If your mom knows what this what can name a company, chances are <laughs> that's the size company we're talking about. Um, and they face very particular challenges. Don't get me wrong. You know, when you're massive and you're global and you're, you know, your 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 cap market cap starts with a B, um, you have a whole slew of challenges and, and and problems and issues that you have to deal with. And sometimes that's great. <laughs> and sometimes you're a small brand. Sometimes you're a new brand. Sometimes you want to take the lessons of starting from zero and applying it to the next big social channels. So let's say um, WooWoo, uh, the mythical next social media channel, launches and even if you're working for a massive, massive brand, even if it's Procter & Gamble and Walmart and Toyota all rolled up in one, um, you still have to start from zero just like everybody else because it's brand new. So I want to talk about starting from zero. That's what we want to talk about today. So um, yeah, so let's set the constraints here. Let's set the 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 stage, as it were, and let's pretend you are you've taken on a job, you've taken on the recruitment marketing, or you're launching some of the recruitment marketing or talent acquisition uh, profession within a relatively small company. Let's say it's a four or five hundred person company. Um, whoever has been doing HR has not or doing a talent acquisition really hasn't owned the concept of recruitment marketing. They've been doing the whole, we hired a recruiter and they've 
fill it full of a, a pool of people and we have an ATS that we kind of know what to do with and um, and that launches our career site. We've got a link on the corporate site to the career site, which is really just the ATS. Uh, and that's good enough for us, right? And you come in and you're like, Whoa, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. This is not going to work. So um, let's start with there. Let's start with that kind of scenario and let's talk about what would you do in that situation. And I think um, the smart way to approach things is to start by saying what's really crucial, what is absolutely necessary. And then once we figure out what's absolutely necessary by process of elimination, I guess, or inversion, whatever isn't critical is has the potential to get left to the side of the road, as it were. And so let's start with this situation. You've got the ATS, and let's not get into the business of switching your ATS out, because that probably should be a whole series of podcasts in and of itself. Um, <laughs> the most boring podcast you will ever listen to. Listen to live, switching out of an ATS. The coffee is almost done, folks. I promise I'll be better soon. Um, so if we avoid worrying about the ATS, and we let's just for the sake of argument, we're, we, we love the recruiter. We love the recruiter, whether it's a full-time staff member or it's a uh, contracted person or even if it's someone on a um, – a staffing agency that you really like, who really gets what you do, that you can always go to, to to bring in new people. Let's not worry about that part. Let's worry about the marketing, the collateral, the message, the audience, the the channels, the site, the everything. How where do you start? So let's start there. And and this is kind of working a little loosely here. What are the things you absolutely have to have? And if you start with the end in mind, as Mr. Stephen Covey would say, um, you have to start with the application. And you have to work your way backwards. And obviously, if you've got an ATS and you've got a recruiter, or you've got people who know how to use that ATS, you're in, you've got that last piece of it done. But I would investigate whether or not people really know how to use that ATS. I think the first thing I would do is call the manufacturer, the vendor of that ATS, and call up on the phone and say, hey, I want to either, one, upgrade to the most recent version you have, and you're going to, you know, and of course you're going to try and negotiate that for as little as possible. And you're going to want some training. You want to know what are all the bells and whistles potential that you have access to that you may not have known that you have access to. Now, do not assume you're going to launch every one of those bells and or whistles. This isn't about that. But this is about understanding what materials you already have on the ground, so to speak, that you can leverage today. And really say, let's what, what's worth using and what's worth letting go. So you're going to talk to your ATS vendor and you're going to say, oh, okay, you have these other tools. What are your best practices? Maybe they log in your existing ATS. Maybe they can see that you're not doing something right. Maybe you are not using because you've only got one recruiter. And maybe, let's say you're about 400 people, you probably have 20 or 30 hiring managers floating around in various capacities around the office. Um, Maybe the hiring managers are not doing a good job with that ATS. Maybe they don't know what to do. Maybe they don't know they can have access. Maybe you should let them have access. And you need to develop an ATS strategy surrounding the recruiter and the people who need to use that ATS. There is a great argument to be made that says the recruiter, if you're a 500-person company, if you're asking them to source all the people you need, let's presume it's 10% of your company, so 40, 50 people, any one time, that's a big job. That's a tough job. And of course, they're going to be all across the, the organization. You're going to have somebody from IT. You're going to have somebody from um, administration. You're going to have somebody from marketing. You're going to have somebody from operations. You're going to have somebody from sales. And you have all these people. And a recruiter is not going to be excellent at hiring all those people. You want to figure out a model by which the recruiter maximizes their efforts. And they get to focus on the things that they're really, really, really good at, the things they have networks in, the things that they can drive people very, very quickly. Or maybe it's the people who 
let's be fair. There are some jobs that if you have the, the choice between a mediocre person and a great person, and the mediocre person is pretty much just as good as the great person. That person won't necessarily, that role won't necessarily make a huge impact on the bottom line. Don't take that to mean that some jobs are dumb and shouldn't be done, and I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I respect those jobs. The question is, is it worth paying a premium, let's say a 20 or 30% premium, to get someone amazing at that job when being amazing only enhances the actual output by 1% or 2%? If so, you've got to go with you know middle-of-the-range talent pool, and whatever you're doing probably going to be fine for that. However, the roles in which finding somebody great makes a huge impact well beyond the premium you would pay for someone who is excellent at that job that's where you want to focus that's where you want to kind of spend your energies and that's where you want to make sure your recruiter is helping you the most you know as much as you as possible can so okay so you've kind of figured out the ATS but then the question becomes okay if the ATS makes sense and the recruiter knows what they're focusing on where are the hiring managers in this process now the hiring managers and I've seen lots of companies do it where the hiring managers have never seen an ATS. They are simply given a stack of resumes and and said, pick somebody or, you know, they're always given rules, right? It's like, okay, narrow this down to five phone calls or six phone calls and then narrow that down to two or three interviews and then pick one. And you're like, okay, great. And it's like picking dinner. Where do you want to go to dinner? Does anybody do that with their spouse or significant other like I do where no one wants to pick where you go to dinner? Try this. Um, you give – it's a him and a her in my case. So I give my wife five um, options that I think were okay. She winnows them down to three, and of the three, I pick the one. That way I'm not forced into something I hate, and you know we all kind of get a chance to winnow it down. That has nothing to do with recruiting, I think. There might be a recruiting model in there somewhere that we could probably extrapolate, but let's not get into that. I'm going to start working on the coffee. Um, so you want to figure out – should your hiring managers have access to the ATS? Should they be able to look at stuff? What kind of communication do you want them to have through the ATS? Now, some companies, the ATS is the conduit of information to the recruiter. Almost The recruiter could almost have no email um, and just be communicated to through the ATS, where the hiring manager is saying, okay, I like this person, but they didn't have X, or I didn't like this person because of Y and Z. Help me find someone like that who doesn't have those same issues. And the recruiter can use the ATS to try and source some of that stuff or their own networks. Some hiring managers um, like to get their hands really dirty in the ATS, and they need to know, okay, what is the process? And when you've got 20, 30, 40 people in the ATS, there's a chance that one of them isn't doing it right and screws up all your data. And, of course, at some point, you're going to want to worry about that data. So you want to make sure everybody's doing it the same way. So a training class that says everybody in the same platform, everybody's at the same level, here are the basic steps. You do this, you do this, you do this. That's how you figure out where your, you know, how you, your hiring managers can use that. Now, I would, at the next, the next stage, I would interview a couple of those hiring managers and ask, look, do you like being involved in the ATS? Do you like being involved in this process? How much do you like being involved? What are the issues you're seeing? Is it a matter of you don't get enough applications? Are you getting too many applications? Is the quality there? Um, is the turnaround too slow? Can you manage this process? Blah, 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 blah. And figure out if this is a case where the hiring managers could use some training on how to hire, how to um, identify interesting people, not just focus on, well, they've done this job before, so therefore they can do it again, so I'm going to hire them, which I think is a bit of a overly easy way of in process of hiring somebody. I think you want to hire someone who has potential. 
because they're cheaper usually, um, and not someone who's just done it before because the fact that they've done it before doesn't mean they're going to be still great at it. Um, you know, and hiring managers don't think about that. Hiring managers, they take that on the chin. They take the brunt of the punishment. If they make a bad hire, that lands on them. And so in the same way that, you know, what, what's he saying? No one gets fired for hiring, for picking IBM. No one gets fired for picking the person with all the experience. Whether or not they're a great fit, whether or not they have the potential and drive to do a great work, that's a secondary question. From the hiring manager's point of view, they want to make sure, if nothing else, they don't screw up. So they pick the safe choice. That may not be good for the business, and you might want to work with them to figure out, hey, what's a good way to find some of the less safe choices which could have real impact on the bottom line? Okay, enough about the ATS and the hiring managers. Let's walk our way backwards. How do you get people to the ATS? Well, obviously you've got jobs, and your job rec process is your job rec process, and no one loves theirs, and... Um, you know, it's no fun. Uh, I actually, I was going to say I've never seen a job description I like, except I did see one for a WeWork remote position that uh, someone forwarded me. Um, it was really cute because it starts by saying, look, we don't pay very well for San Francisco and New York, and it's a weird job, and this is going to suck, and this is going to be bad. And then the second graph is, if you're still reading this, you're going to have a great time. Here's the job. And I thought it was a really well-written job description. Um, I, for what, I won't even get into because it was a weird job. Um so how do you get people to engage with job descriptions? Okay, well, obviously by themselves, job descriptions are usually not enough. You need to surround them with good content and good stories that help facilitate the comprehension and understanding and absorption of what your message is and what the job and the, and the brand is all about. So if you get someone to your job description, whether they came from a job board or a Google or whatever, it doesn't matter, um, what's the ancillary information you're going to surround that, that job board again now or job posting around? Now, if you're a 500-person company, you probably have 30, 40, 50 roles, right? Well, that means do you have to write four, 40 or 50 different stories, one for each role? Yeah, no, you don't have to. Yes, you could, but again, we're starting from zero. We're trying to focus on what are the leanest, meanest tricks we can do to get the most value. So what I would do is start at the top of the brand pyramid and focus on what is the brand? What do we stand for? What are we about? Um, you don't have to get in the nitty-gritty immediately about things like what is this particular job all about? What are the the seven different um, criteria and traits and attributes that make someone incredibly successful at this particular job. You're going to get to that later. Don't worry about it. Remember, you just started this job. You've got some time to make an impact and then grow it over time. Don't feel like you've got to eat the whole elephant in one bite. You want to do it nibble by nibble, starting at one spot and working your way strategically across the side. So you start with good brand content. Now, what does good brand content mean? Because honestly, when I think about brand content, I start to kind of snooze Snooze off because it's incredibly boring. Most brand content is so unbelievably boring. Um, so you got to figure out a way around that. So one of the things I would recommend you do is to focus on what makes this brand different. Now, this is not the easiest ask. This is a bit of a challenge because, to be fair, most brands, if you look at their uh, mission statements or their language or the things they say are, make them amazing, they all sound the same. They're all non-defensible. So when a brand says, we're best in class and blah, 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 and you're like, okay, prove it. They can't. Nobody can. Those are, those are made-up marketing BS junk words uh, and terms, and you know we're all about work-life balance. Okay, prove it. It's 6 o'clock. Anybody still working? Yeah? Well, guess what? Non-defensible. Um, if they talk about how they're committed to your growth and you, 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 you want to say, okay, great, let me see your professional development plan, and they look at you like, well, it's around here somewhere. Yeah, no, not committed to professional development. It has to be something clear, obvious, and defensible. You, 
and I say that as if it's easy and it's not, but I will give you this positive message, and that is no one's doing it right. So if you can do it right, you are so far ahead of the game. There are so few companies who know how to talk about their brand in a way that doesn't put people to sleep, in a way that's clear and unique. And I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, you know, when it comes down to it, um, you know, uh, Pepsi's um, mission statement is beat Coke. You know, you got to love that. You got to love that. Look, it's a singular focus of this is what we're all about. And whether it's beating them in sugar water or beating them in flavored water or just beating them in water, water, or sports water, or water, 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 and all, you know, whatever, they just want to beat Coke. And I got to respect that. And it doesn't have to be, this isn't about rewriting anybody's mission statement. It's about saying, what really makes this brand unique? Okay, are you a plastic faci- plastics facilitating company? Great. There are a thousand of those, or plastics facility, plastic manufacturing, sorry. There are thousands of those. So what makes you different? It's not just the people, because if it is, you're just one of any number of companies and you've randomly filled them with people and that makes you different. That doesn't make you different. That makes you randomly distributed. Um, what about you makes a difference? And what you need to do is look at the management, look at the decisions that were made, look at how the company has grown, look at the decisions that led to growth or, or, or you know, decline and what happened after that. Talk about the stories in which you had a really bad year and what you did. Did you all rally together? Did you all figure it out? Did everybody take a 5% pay cut to survive the year so that the next year they could turn around and do something amazing? Tell that story. Now, you were probably terrified of saying, hey, everybody, we took a 5% pay cut in the career site section. And then, yes, that's a little dicey. But there's that's a magical, powerful story to say, look, this is a team environment. We aren't a bunch of sharks. We aren't a bunch of rogues. We aren't a bunch of cowboys. We aren't a bunch of people just figuring out on our own. We do it together. And that, when said is, hey, we're, we're all about teamwork, sounds like nothing. It sounds like wallpaper paste in place of vanilla pudding. It sounds like nothing. But if you tell a story about how people banded together to take a pay cut, or they banded together because somebody got sick, or they banded together because of this thing, that's a story worth telling. And that talks about not that job or that job, but about the brand. And that's what you, what you really want to talk about. That's what really makes you and sets you apart and sets you different. One good, smart, well-written story like that is better than 20 other articles that you know are written by press releases. It's not about coverage. It's not about number and volume of content. It's about the power and impact of that story. Other possible initial story ideas. Talk to your CEO and talk about what is the industry doing and what is the direction of it and, and, and find a way, kindly, gently, pleasantly, because they are your boss, um, to get them to get past the pablum, to get them past the the marketing PR speak that means nothing. You have to ask them, no, really, what are we going to do? I remember a long time ago, I had a boss who owned a small software company, about 60, 75 people. Um, and we were in a bit of a, you know, we had, we had hit that kind of space. You know, I think HR people know, you know, when you hit certain criteria, once you hit three people, the company has to change. And once you hit 10 people, the company changed. Once you hit 30 people, you know, there's kind of like these tiers of when the companies change. We were in the middle of that. Um, and everybody was a little out of sorts and everybody's feeling weird. And there was talk about what about this competitor and that competitor. And it was, it was weird. Um, and the CEO stands up at our quarterly meeting and says, okay, here's the deal. The, com- the competition that is going to put us under is in this room. 
not somebody from outside who's going to kill us. It's internally we're going to kill ourselves. We're going to do something stupid. We're going to put our foot in, the, in our mouth. We're going to say something stupid to the wrong client. We're going to not execute properly. We're going to sit on our laurels and wait for the next development you know, version to come out and, and not add enough features. We're the ones who are going to screw us up. So it, it lands on us to fix it. Now that kind of speech is the sort of thing good CEOs know how to do. They know how to say, look, I know your fears are all out there. I know you're worried about this, this, this. I'm going to tell you right now, we're so far ahead of all of them. This is nothing we have to worry about. What we have to worry about is this. Execution, detail, growth, boom, 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 boom. Spell that out. Get your CEO to talk about stuff like that. That's power. That's, that's real value. Uh, another piece of brand content. Um, you can talk about and interview four or five people who have been successful long-term. I think you need to find people who embody the spirit of your company. So if you're all about continuity and you're all about, look, you're going to grow your career over time steadily, surely, go find people who have been there for 20 years and interview, excuse me, and interview them. Ask them questions. Ask them why they stay at this company over and over again. Mm. Good coffee. You want to figure out what's your message and then find the people that embody them and ask them some questions. Now, ask them the obvious questions, sure. But I like to throw in a couple of curveballs. I like to ask them things like, well, what does your mom think you do? Um, I think that, one, it always gets a good giggle. But really it lets people, it puts them in a different mindset and lets them answer questions, not about, look, you ask me what my job is, I'm going to try and impress you. That's just right <laughs> Isn't that what we all do? Um, I want to make, you know, I'm going to describe my job in such a way that it sounds like I'm the most important person who ever walked the face of the earth. Spoiler, I'm not. Um, if you ask me what my mom thinks I do, you're going to get a whole different answer. And it's going to be funnier and it's going to be clever and it's going to be somewhat self-deprecating and it's going to be more human and real. And that's what you want to get at. You want to make the embodiment of that message or that mission or whatever you, the brand promise, whatever you want to call that, sound real. Get four or five people in a room if you have to. Do them one by one if you have to. Get those stories. Get those quotes and build a great story. Do not be afraid to bring in a copywriter to turn great raw material like that into a compelling piece of copy and put that everywhere. <laughs> so now that you've helped kind of given people a reason to apply, what I call a compelling reason to apply, the job description, remember, is a technical document. It's a, it's a process. It's a form. It's a way of getting someone to hit the button that says apply. The content is a giving them enough energy and spark to say, yeah, I know that the ATS behind this button is going to be an arduous process that I will spend 30 minutes retyping yet again my resume into an ATS that is from 1998. Um, and it's going to suck. But now that I have a reason, I don't mind doing that. I'm willing to put forth the effort. If I don't have the compelling reason and it takes me more than three seconds to apply, I'm out. Um, and that's what you want. You want that compelling reason to apply beyond that. So the question then becomes walking backwards, how did people find that job? How did they get there? And of course, from here, you've got a litany of things going on. You've got number one at the top of the list, of course, is job boards. Um, you know, I, I know like saying, hey, you know, just talking about Indeed, like it's the only job board, but let's be fair, it's the biggest by far. Um, like it or love it, like it or hate it or whatever, I don't care. Um, but you've got to contend with it. You have to understand that people are there looking for jobs, so therefore your jobs have to be there. I don't think, if it was up to me, you know, I was starting from zero, I don't think I'd just take my job description and shoot it right up to Indeed and say, good enough. I don't think that's how you're going to compete very well. Remember, you're starting from zero. You have low resources. What you need to do is focus on the things that other people don't do. Not do. You don't play follow the leader. 
the leader has all the money in the world. Everybody talks, looks at like Googles and Facebooks and say, why don't we do what they do? It's like, well, do you have their kind of money? Do you know what Facebook's market cap is? Do you know that they have 40 or 50 literally billions dollars in a bank sitting there waiting to do things with? They, they're waiting for that island to come down in price or something. Who knows? They can. It's just sitting there. You want to play follow the leader with them, you are going to lose every time. Why? Because one, they're the leader. Two, they have all the resources in the world. They're going to stop you. You don't want to play that game. So if you can't play their game, you have to play your game, right? You have to be the small, scrappy startup, the, the challenger, the, 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 you know, that you have to come in from a different angle to get something done. If you, if you follow and play their game, you, you will get crushed because you won't, you will be like thousands and thousands of other companies doing the exact same thing who aren't creative or smart or clever enough or brave enough to do it differently or interestingly in a way that matters. And you will continue to stay a small, fish in that big pool and that's no fun so you got to do something different so what i would first thing i would do is i would take every job description that comes in your ats and i would not send it to indeed what i would send is a rewritten job description designed not to be a technical document but designed to sell the job you want to write a paragraph or two and annotate it to the top of those job descriptions from it that talk about bob from it who told did an amazing thing do it make that job description human so that when someone lands on that job description on indeed and they have to read the story about bob to figure out what the rest of this job is now you've got you've inserted your message about bob and your in your your brand into their brain before they've gotten to what they really wanted you've you know in, inserted that message you've injected it now they know who you are and it's a more compelling reason if you are if you have a thousand job descriptions that all sound the same i'm clicking on bob right? Bob is at least interesting. It's a good story. Even if it's just a paragraph or two, it's something different. You know, job descriptions for project managers or IT professionals or marketing specialists, they all sound the same. Regardless of company, they all sound the same because effectively they're doing roughly the same job. You have to figure out a way to make them sound different and be different. First thing I would do is annotate those job descriptions before they go to Indeed. Give a human element to those jobs. Why? Besides from the obvious, it's also cheap. You know, writing a paragraph or two or getting a story about some of these jobs, start with the most important jobs and kind of grow out as you go. I'm not asking you to write a novel. I'm asking you to write two or three paragraphs to tell a story that make this job really human. That's all. So you've got Indeed happening. Now, do you promote Indeed? Let's talk about promotion later. Um, you've got all your other channels. You've got social channels. Everybody likes to talk about social. So you've got zero Facebook, right? You either um, have a corporate site that you're not allowed to touch or you know, someone once launched a career page and 12 people actually friended it two years ago and they're probably bots, so it doesn't count. Where, how do you start from zero on social media? This is, a, this is a tough one because this is one of those games where if you start from zero, getting the ball rolling is so hard. It's a lot like, you know, the snowball effect where it turns into the avalanche. The first snowball, getting it right and getting that initial inertia to start to roll downhill. Do me a favor. Go to a top of a mountain, go make a snowball and roll it downhill. And it goes nowhere. It just sits in the snow. You have to make it big enough that its weight drives it down the hill enough that it starts to collect more snow to become heavier to drive it down the hill so it be collects more snow so it becomes heavier etc cetera, etc cetera. at the onset at the very beginning you don't have enough weight in that snow therefore it doesn't go anywhere that's why starting at zero is so so hard now 
everybody will tell you the best way to get around that is to pay for it. Go promote your new Facebook page. Go make a Facebook careers page. Put a story up there. Put a job up there and then promote the heck out of it. Um, you know your target audience. You know your location. Spend some money, buddy, and do it. And I would say, yeah, that works too. You could also decide to use Facebook not as a way of advertising your jobs to people who are in the middle of looking at friends and families and pictures of dogs and memes about cats, but instead use it as a reference tool. That is, tell two or three good stories, tell them a couple of different ways, publish them once every other week, um, and don't ever look at your follower count. (laughs) I mean like ever. Do not care about follower counts. Remember, follower counts are weird in some circles, you might call them a vanity metric because they don't matter. So let's remember from a standpoint of social or Facebook, if you follow a brand Facebook on Facebook, it's because you have a lifelong passion for that brand. I've got someone who works for me who loves Sephora more than probably eh, close to her husband. Um, she loves Sephora. She follows Sephora's brand. Does she follow jobs at Sephora? No, not because she couldn't get a job or didn't want or wouldn't want a job there. Frankly, if Sephora knocked her door and said, "Would you like a job?" they wouldn't have to finish the sentence. She'd take that job. The problem is, is that when you follow a brand on Facebook and I follow you, chances are I get to find out. And if you start following a bunch of jobs at careers at brand, I start to realize you're looking for a job. That's fine unless I'm your boss and that's bad or a coworker and suddenly a cat's out of the bag, you're on your way out the door. Um, also, if you know, to go back to my friend in Sephora, you expect a lifelong or a long-term anyway uh, relationship with that brand. You, you're not there for a week and then out. You're there because you want to know what's happening in Christmas, and then you want to know what's happening in the spring, and then you want to know what's happening in the summer, and then you want to know what's happening for school where it comes back, and then you want to know what's happening for Thanksgiving, and then guess what? It's Christmas all over again, and you're like, yay, you did it again. That's what you're there for. If your job hunt goes that long, clearly you're having problems. <laughs> Your job hunt should be a couple weeks, couple months, right? Why would you engage with a jobs ad or careers ad on a Facebook channel when you just got a new job? The second you get that job, you go and unsubscribe from all those things because they no longer apply to you. It's going to be at least a year or two or three or five before you go looking for a job. I don't care about those things. So you can never get a lifelong or a long-term connection with that, that person. So people are always walking out the door, not in the way they would for other brands, and frankly, People don't want to advertise the fact that they're looking for a job. So therefore, if you looked at it, most of your followers are either employees, relations of employees, friends of employees, or bots, right? That, that no one else is going to, you know, there's not an, a huge audience out there waiting to hear your next post. So instead, rather than treat Facebook like, let's build an audience and tell them stuff, which by the way, one to 3% organic reach, I can't say that enough, it's a big deal. You have to take that into consideration. What you can use Facebook for is understanding that especially millennials, but a lot of other people use Facebook in their process of doing research about your brand. Who are you? Why do why do people work there? So if someone's going to find your job in Indeed and they click on apply and they skip past that great story you have in the career site about whatever it is you wrote and they go to, they, they're looking at the job description, they're going to do research. They're going to go to Glassdoor. They're going to go to Google. They're going to go to LinkedIn and they're also going to go to Facebook. Good. Fine. Deliver the story. In one or all those channels, deliver those stories. You want to make sure that they understand that when you're looking for jobs about your brand, these are the things you got to know. We're all about X. We're all about Y. We're not at all about Z, right? That's the message. And you can rewrite it for every different channel if you want. If you give it slight slight tweaks each channel if you want, I don't know that I'd spend the money or time doing that, but whatever. Um, 
but you want to make sure that those messages are very, very findable across all those channels. Then you publish once every other week. You don't have to worry about them going away. You don't have to worry about them, um, you know, evaporating or expiring. They're not there for the latest and greatest. They're it, it's a it's a career fair. You know, that's <laughs> what they're there for. They're not there for the latest and greatest. They're just there to understand who the brand is, and they view Facebook as the means of getting a more human perspective about your brand. So give it to them. So obviously, if that's how you're going to use Facebook and you know you keep it simple, maybe you even point back to that page on the career site, whatever, that's fine. Don't immediately spend money on promotion. Treat Facebook as a media buy. So when you've decided to spend money on Indeed and you've decided to spend money on search engine marketing, you've decided to spend money on banner ads and all the other stuff you want to spend money on, add Facebook and, and the other social promotion to that because that's how you need to think about it. Remember, it's not about building an audience. It's about just getting your word out to targeted areas. And that's what media is amazing at. Okay, what about the other social? If you're starting from zero on Facebook and you've got access to your corporate site, I would post those messages on your corporate site as well. Build up a little bit of audience, just enough awareness that you're doing this thing and then at some point you pull a trigger and say, hey, by the way, we have a career site and every couple of weeks on your corporate site, remind people that you've got a career site, that you want to point them back to your career Facebook page. Again, not to build an audience, just to say, look, if they're going to find you, you want to be able, you want them to find you on either one. You don't want to be so siloed out that if they, and I did this once, <laughs> I was doing research for a brand and I couldn't find their career site. So I did all the research on their corporate site because they never spoke up very much about the career site. They didn't do a good job kind of promoting it internally and making it clear. Um, so I missed it and that's a bad thing. And if I was lo actually looking for a job, that would be a miss for, for them, for me. So don't do that. Make sure your corporate site, and talk to your marketing team. Say, look, you're not gonna do this every day. You're not doing it every 20 minutes. It's a very subtle message. You'll even brand it, make it visually appropriate for the channel and they will happily, hopefully, um, work with you to get that message out. So what about your other social channels? If you're starting from zero on Twitter, stay off Twitter. Just don't, just don't, just don't. It's so hard to get it, you know, this is, if this was 2009, this is a different conversation. If this is 2012, it's a different conversation. But it's 2000, and can you believe it's 17? Uh, Twitter is in a weird spot right now. That is not where I would be putting all my bets. Remember, you've got a limited amount of resources. Don't spend the time. Now, maybe later, maybe when Twitter figures itself out and there's a, it makes sense as a use case for that, maybe you go back to it. But right now, starting from zero, that's not where I'd spend my time. However, you got LinkedIn and Glassdoor to worry about. Again, Glassdoor, same way. If you, I don't think there's, I think there's a good case you made for spending the money to get a profile where you can publish content. But if you can't, if that's just something that you fell off the budget, you absolutely should claim your page. You absolutely should put your logo and pictures and, and whatever freebies they give you these days, use them all. Glassdoor is, has a huge traffic, you know, it has a lot of people showing up there. Whether they're using it to look for jobs or doing research is almost immaterial. They have a lot of eyeballs and people are looking at your brand on their site. So go ahead and do your best with it. Um, should you respond to reviews? Yes. Yes, you should. Uh, should you respond to every review? No, don't be a jerk. Um, you know, if there's a bad one, there are lots of ways to write a, hey, look, I, we had no idea we're going to fix it. Or, hey, that's, you know, we should, can you give us more information and talk about this offline? We'd love to fix this. Or, hey, you know what? We appreciate that this was came in a state of flux and things have changed. In the meantime, this happened, this happened, this happened. Thanks for your review. 
just give them enough to say, look, you care enough to show up. You're not there to solve their problems. You're not there to get them to come back to the job. You're there to show that you showed up. That is the real initial power of Glassdoor. That's how you make an impact, just by showing up. LinkedIn, okay, same way. Make sure your page is claimed. I think you're going to have to have a conversation with your marketing team because on some level, your marketing team might think that LinkedIn belongs to them, and that is nine times out of ten wrong. LinkedIn is all about job seekers. There's a case we made that B2B vendors have a claim on LinkedIn and they can do a lot of business on LinkedIn and I'll give them that. But for the most part, you know, you think of a retail brand, what are they doing on LinkedIn? That's that should be all about talent acquisition. That's it. You've got a text company, talent acquisition. LinkedIn is 90% talent acquisition, so it should be owned 90% by talent acquisition. This might mean you have to have an unpleasant conversation with your marketing team to say, look, what kind of traffic are you really getting out of that? Because honestly, every job seeker in the world seems to be going through LinkedIn today. I need to be on it and I need to be not just stuffed in a tab in a corner somewhere, but I need to be front and center of that. And you need to have a frank and pleasant discussion with your marketing team about LinkedIn. When you get it, great. Go post those pages. Go post that content and get comfortable posting on a semi-regular basis. Again, you don't have to do it every day or every week. You have to do it every once in a while. It's not about building a following. It's really just about making sure that when people do their research about you, they they can find you. Taking a sip of coffee. This is going to be a long episode. <clears throat> okay, so Glassdoor, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, got the big ones. Do you get into Snapchat? I would hold off. Do anything you would call emerging social? Until you're good at the basics, don't bother. Just tell a good story and get it in front of the right people. What else can you do? Well, um, <clears throat> you've got media, which we touched on a little bit. Um, you want to make sure that your jobs are being found by the people looking for them. So the question has to become, if you're looking at your analytics and your career site, what are people doing on your career site? Are they looking at the jobs and then applying? Are they looking, do you have a talent pool? Is there value in, in pushing people to the talent pool? There's a whole episode about the talent pool I want to try and write shortly. Um, so I won't get too far into this, but starting from zero and you have nobody in your talent pool, you need a campaign to launch that talent pool. I think um, whether you think of it as ERP or whether you think of it as sourcing or there's all sorts of ways to kind of conceive of that area where you're trying to do longer term referrals and, 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 and slow play the process, um, you need to invest some time in that. And just sticking a thing on your website is step one, not step done. You want to make sure that once you have a talent pool tool or ERP tool established, there's a campaign around it that everybody knows why it's there. Um, my friend Andy Crestadino over at Orbit, he talks about he loves his um, newsletter list, and 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 not without reason. He it's a bit. I think it's his baby. Um, he has a kid, so um, that's a little weird. Now, before he had a kid, the newsletter he was so proud of the way he could actually move the needle, and 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 every two weeks a newsletter went out, and it grew the audience, and it grew the audience, and it grew the audience. You know, steady growth. Um, he didn't have to invest a huge amount of time, but what he did, what he said, he's and he would say this if he was sitting here, um, is that. The way you grow a newsletter, and I think these rules apply very much to ERPs and talent pools and what have you, is that you have to follow a few simple rules. And the first and most important rule is if you're asking someone to give up their email address, you have to give them a reason why. Asking someone for their email address is effectively like asking for five bucks. 
right? And if a stranger walks up to you in the middle of the street and says, can I have five bucks? The answer is no. Uh, thanks for asking. I got to go. Maybe if they look really bad, maybe you slip them five bucks or whatever. You can, you know, we talk, that's a separate thing. But um, asking for an email address is asking for five bucks or 10 bucks. It's not without penalty. When I give you my email address, I know for sure I'm about to get emailed. And I don't know that I want to. I don't know who you are. I don't, and it's not a trust thing per se. It's a matter of what's the value to me? I know you're going to sell me. I know we live in a capitalist society. I know that when you, I give you my email address, you will be pitching me. Are you giving me something else? I think of retail outlets and the, you know, I think for a while I was on the Gap newsletter. For, and I swear I got an email every day or twice a day. And you'd think that would have made me crazy immediately, but they did a great job offering me specials on a regular basis and coupons. And by the way, this is happening. And they actually offered me stuff that I valued. And if you are not offering something to someone that they value, stop doing it. And if you are offering something of value and you're not talking about what you're offering of value at the sign-up page, you are missing out. You really need to say, hey, join our talent pool and we will not only send you jobs, but we're going to give you more information about the industry or we're going to keep you up to date on the news about how this works. Give them something of value. And I think giving them industry news and, and stuff is like the low, low, low bar of what you could be offering. You can offer a whole lot of stuff. If you're a big company, heck, if, if, if you're going back to plastics manufacturing, if you're trying to find people who are passionate about plastics manufacturing, your newsletter should be not about jobs, but about plastic. Hey, new invention, new thing. Hey, take a look at this new plastic extruder thingamabobber we have. Take a look at our new warehouse. We rearranged this thing. Hey, we did a new process. Hey, we did this. Show everything. Make the people who are passionate about plastics, and I didn't mean that to be, you know, kind of a, you know, to p -p 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 um, make them fall in love with you because you are in love with plastics. That's how you develop a message. That's how you differentiate yourself. That's how you grow an audience and a following over time. Frankly, your marketing team is going to love that because one or two of them might one day actually buy a piece of plastic from you. But really, it's about saying, look, if you love plastics like we love plastics, here's a lot of information about plastics and eventually some jobs too. That's a value, right? They know they can get jobs. Offering, hey, we're going to send you jobs. Why? <laughs> I know where Indeed is. I know where your career site is. I can find them myself. Thanks. Send me something of value. And you have to make that value super clear at the sign-up page, right? Immediately, hey, if you sign up for this, we're going to send you this, this, this. This is how often we're sending it to you. That way, people feel very comfortable giving you their email address. Hey, give me five bucks, and I'll bring you back a large cheeseburger and a soda. Oh, okay, and I'm going to do it every week. Really? For five bucks? Yeah, that sounds great. That's an easier sell than give me five bucks. But when the talent pool just says, give me your email address, that's effectively what you're doing. So you have to build a campaign around that. And then you need to communicate that out. You need to talk about it on your Facebook and Glassdoor. Say, hey, look, we have a lot of news about plastics. You should follow us and you should build an active newsletter. And there are plenty of newsletter tools that I would recommend, and they start with Tiny Letter and MailChimp and Emma and, and, and all sorts of other constant contacts that are getting big and, and you know, Lyris or whatever. There's plenty of companies that do that stuff that, honestly, email marketing still works. If you're talking about starting from zero, build your email list. I think there's a remarkable case to be made that says, look, you know, in the same way that I said don't build a Facebook audience because they're not going to be there long, the uh, the third reason is not to buy a, a build a Facebook audience is because they're not yours. They're Facebook's. There's a, a line in our world called do not build 
a building on rented property. And effectively, if you're trying to build an audience on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and whatever, you don't own that list. Facebook, Twitter, and, and LinkedIn own those lists. And if they decide to change the rules, as they do all the time, um, you're toast. The, right now, um, YouTube is changing their rules about how they're um, for the, for the YouTube stars, and I'm too old to understand what that means. Other than people post videos, and other and a million people like to watch those videos, and why I don't know. But there you go. YouTube changed the rules on what kind of um, uh, incentives they give and how they're going to pay those videos for views, and they just changed the rules unilaterally. They just decided, hey, the rules are different, and ev- and all these YouTube stars are mad, and they're going and they're protesting, and like, yeah. But you know what YouTube gave you? They gave you free distribution and hosting of video files, which are massive, for free for a very, very, very long time. That's the return. So if you can afford to build your own system of email address, own email. Be all about email because you will own your email system forever. You don't ever have to worry about someone coming in and say, okay, a third of those email addresses you're not allowed to touch because of this, 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 and this. No, you own that list and you can grow it. Uh, invest in good CRM maybe, invest in a good email management list. And I think building content and making sure that you're not just putting on a career site, not just putting on a Facebook and not just putting, but emailing it to people who are actually interested in that stuff, that does a great job closing that loop. Okay. The last thing you do if you're walking up the funnel, and I'm sorry this has gone on very, very long, is to talk about the brand. Talk about, okay, how did you get people aware of that? How did you, beyond getting people aware of jobs, those are transactional things. Posting on Indeed will get somebody to click on that job and come to your site. How do you worry about people who are not part of that transitional process? And you have to focus on, again, now that you're you know, walking backwards, the tools of Facebook and Glassdoor and LinkedIn and email are already there. Your talent pool, your ERP, whatever all those things, they're already in place. Now you're just extending them out to try and reach people who you would not normally reach. Again, you're talking about that newsletter about plastics. Stop just showing it to people who are applying for jobs. Start to promote that in other places. Start to promote the newsletter as a product that you build on a regular basis and grow from there. Market it like you would any other. And people who are also passionate about plastics from around the country and around the world will sign up and will start to see that you are some of the best people about plastics. And eventually, they will ask you for a job eventually you'll have a job that's perfect for them and they'll be willing to move across the country or across the state or across town or whatever to get that job because they get who you are. You've done a great job kind of planting the seeds about what makes you special. Now, the nice part about that is is that you don't go after your passive candidates day one. You'd be crazy to do that. But what you do is kind of using that process like we just walked through, starting at the very basics, the ATS and the recruiter, working your way up to how do people find jobs, how to annotate job descriptions, how to get those job descriptions seen by as many people as possible, how to add content to make those job descriptions not seem so boring, how to put that content in all the right places that people will find it. Okay, great. That's going to take you weeks and months, right? That's a full-time job. Once you've kind of hit that and you've built a process by which you're regularly building that um, non-job content, now you can start to move forward and say, okay, how do I get this in front of a bigger audience beyond job seekers? And that's where the passive candidate stuff happens. So I went 45 minutes or so. Um, This is a long one. Um, If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have complaints, see the owner. That's me. Hi, how you doing? James Ellis. Um, I'm always on Twitter, so ping me at Twitter at at thewarfortalent, or just go to the podcast website, thetalentcast.com. 
Um, what else do I want to tell you? I want to. I'm trying to interview some people. I'm trying to put stuff together. I'm trying to schedule my next sessions here. Uh, if this is valuable, let me know. If there's a question you have or a challenge you'd like me to accept, I will not do the ice bucket or the mannequin. However, if you ask me a quirk-related challenge, I'd love to try and answer it. Um, let me know. Just reach out and set me up. Otherwise, I think I'm doing a thing in February. Um, I'm going to have more details soon. So uh, otherwise, thanks for listening. Review us on iTunes or Android Play or whatever that is. And uh, tell your friends. Tell your professional friends about this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much and have a great day. And I'll talk to you soon. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.